Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's time for Brewing After Hours with Sarah Flora. Be, 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 be it's like sunshine for the belly. Hi, I'm Sarah Flora. You may know me as Flora Brewing on Instagram and YouTube, where I dive into the technical aspects of making beer. My new podcast, Brewing After Hours, is going to take a different look at the history and stories behind beer. I'm going to bring you a story a week, as well as conversations with homebrewers and professionals in the industry. And of course, we'll be cracking some beers along the way. Hello, and welcome back to Brewing After Hours. I'm your host, Sarah Flora. So on this episode, we're going to be diving into one of my favorite styles of beer, stouts. Some people refer to this as a meal in the glass, which we will get into later. Some have lactose, some have coffee, some can be sour, and some breweries, but in this case, one brewery, can also create a recipe that is so good, like not only tastes good, but also inspires an entire industry to do good. And this just makes me love stouts even more. Especially the Black is Beautiful Imperial Stout, which is seriously, guys, my favorite stout I've ever had. I don't know how they did it. Marcus is a genius. So this recipe was created by Marcus Baskerville, the founder and head brewer of Weathered Souls Brewing in San Antonio, Texas. And guys, this is just a little sidebar, but I just found out that my mom used to live 10 minutes away from Weathered Souls. So every time I visited her, I missed out on an opportunity to go drink their beer in person, and I will never forgive myself. I did get a chance to talk to Marcus about Weathered Souls and the Black is Beautiful campaign, so stick around for that interview. But first, let's chat about what they used to call butt beer. The history of stouts begins with the history of porters. So porters were the original dark beer in England. They were made with low-cost brown malt and were of varying strengths. These were aged and took on a slight twinge of sourness, referred to as staleness uh, back then. Right now, we would just call it like an infection or something or a actual souring. The porter was aged in wooden casks called butts, giving it the butt beer name. And it was said to be a meal in the glass. Because this beer was so filling, it became a favorite of laborers that carried luggage and cargo into the Thames River boats. These people were called porters, and thus we got the name porter for this style of beer. So during this time, Guinness was actually around, and they still add about 3% of sour beer to their stout, their traditional stout. I don't think the extra stout has it anymore. At least to my taste, it doesn't taste like it's sour. It's my approximation that they probably add this sourness to preserve the original flavor of the porter or stout that they were creating because, you know, they're not using unsanitary practices anymore. It's more of a relic of a lost time. During the Industrial Revolution, some of the brewing tools we take for granted were invented. These are things like the thermometer and hydrometer, which can you even imagine brewing without those today? With the hydrometer, brewers discovered that the cheap brown malt they were using, it was pretty crappy. It was way inefficient and they started actually adding more of the more expensive pale malt to their grist bill. The final blow for this brown malt was when the 1722 taxation on malt was created. This made the brown malt both inefficient and more expensive given the tax was on the weight of the malt rather than its sugar content. You obviously would want to use less weight and get more sugar out of it, which the pale malt made possible for you. 
Removing this standard ingredient from the beer, though, did cause a problem. People wanted the signature dark color in their porters, so brewers had to come up with a solution. First, they tried adding burnt sugar to their beers, and this is, you know, you can kind of think of like the um, candy sugar. There's like the dark candy sugar, and I imagine it's something like that, but probably even darker because it's supposed to make an entire beer dark colored. It's essentially like caramel coloring. The English government did not like people skirting their taxation laws, so they knew that people were just adding caramel color to their beers to make them look like they used to and avoid paying a higher malt tax. In 1816, Parliament actually banned the use of caramel coloring in beer. But fortunately, the next year, Daniel Wheeler invented the roasting kiln. Today, this is how you make your darker malts, and it gave them the ability to create black malt, also known as like black patent malt, and you can still find this today. And this basically solved all the problems of trying to use a high efficiency pale malt, but still getting that dark color. If you've made a stout, you know you don't have to use very much dark malt at all, and you will get a beautiful black color. Originally, only strong beers were called stouts. A stout did not mean it was going to be inherently dark in color. It was only to do with the alcohol content. The name slowly transformed to mean a strong porter. Guinness named their strong porter, which was originally called XX Porter, the extra stout porter. And this is what you can still find in grocery stores, their extra stout. This is actually the Guinness that I will drink. I don't love the draft Guinness. It's got that sourness, man, and I cannot drink it. Speaking of Guinness, I think we've all heard Guinness being called a beer in a glass. I know that and this is probably TMI. One time in college, I decided to do a juice cleanse and I made it five days. Then I decided it was a good idea to go to a bar. I met one of my friends, he had a dark beer and I truly like never tried a dark beer before, but I was so craving something that was filling that I stole his beer from him. I said, this beer tastes like steak. I will be drinking all of it. And thus my love for dark beers began. But is it actually true that stouts are inherently more filling than other beers? I think a lot of us already know the answer to this because if you think about Guinness, it's actually like a 5% beer and lower alcohol content, it lowers the calories in the beer. Some people have actually tested this theory and like I was on a juice cleanse, people have gone on beer cleanses. The new scientist estimated that in order to survive on the nutrients provided by Guinness alone, you would actually need to drink 50 pints of it every day. The negative health effects of doing so would obviously overshadow you surviving on beer and you would basically be passed out, I think, by pint 25, I would bet. While talking about all things stouts, I knew it was a great opportunity to chat with Marcus Baskerville of Weathered Souls Brewing. He created the collaboration brew Black is Beautiful, which I'm sure most of you have heard of. Let's hear more from Marcus on how his campaign came to be and his journey of opening up Weathered Souls Brewing in San Antonio. Hi, 
Marcus, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. My family actually lives in the San Antonio area, so I'm really excited to visit your brewery once we can travel again. I'd love to hear your story about how you transitioned from home brewing to commercial brewing. I read you learned to brew in California, where I currently am, and then relocated to San Antonio, where you started the brewery. Home brewing to professional. Um, I started home brewing probably about see brewery's been open for almost five years so about nine years ago now um homebrewing started as something like kind of a competition thing with my brother saying who could make better beer and then i ended up moving to san antonio um in the process of that that's kind of where i refined uh my homebrewing craft um, I had got in a car accident at one point within like the first couple of weeks of being in San Antonio and I used the extra money to upgrade my home brewing equipment. So um, I was out here by myself, kind of bored, you know, that type of thing. So it gave me something to do. Where I made the transition of making to good homebrew uh, was around 2013. And I was listening to Annie Johnson's um conversation on the brewing network from when she won homebrewer of the year homebrewer of the year in 2013. and so uh that conversation seeing a black woman from sacramento where i grew up one it motivated me um and so the, actually the next beer that i ended up making was probably the first good beer that i did that i could actually say like this is something that i can continually drink like other people enjoy that type of thing and so from there as time kind of progressed i went ahead and started bringing my beers to like local bars breweries tap rooms that type of stuff letting them try my beer one local uh, brewery ended up enjoying the beer so much they let me do like a resident brewer like tap takeover so i had what was it? Four beers, I think, that I ended up putting on tap at the brewery and all of them ended up tapping out that night. So they ended up offering me a assistant brewing position. So I took that while working full time, uh, my full time job working, you know, 40 plus hours a week there. And then I would get off and go work, you know, 30 hours, 35 hours at the brewery. Um, so within that process, kind of learned what not to do more so than what to do. And at one point I grew really unhappy with the inability to be able to um, experiment and, you know, produce my own recipes and, and beers and stuff like that. So I ended up quitting. Then the process of quitting, uh, I met my business partner, Mike. We had became friends over like the course of that last year while I was working for the brewery. We used to go out drinking that type of stuff. And I looked at Mike and I was like, uh, when are we going to open a brewery? And he was like, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. And uh, we literally started working on the business plan like a couple months later. Well, no, excuse me, a couple of days later. We opened up 11 months after that. That's a really quick turnaround from like idea to conception of actually starting a brewery. I mean, it's really encouraging to see that you did it in such a quick way and so successfully, like your beer is amazing. Did you always want to pursue a career as a brewer or? No, uh, <laughs> not at all. Like if you would have asked me 10 years ago, like uh, about being in the beer industry or producing beer for a living, that'd be probably the last thing. It was like, um, I used to at one point not even drink beer. I used to be more into like liquor, you know, early like 20s, kind of migrated to drinking beer occasionally, made it a fun thing as like uh, something to do, hanging out with my brother and cousin and stuff like that. That's kind of the point when I started getting more serious into the beer scene. But even then, like, 
I would have never thought that I'd be brewing beer. Yeah, I feel like a lot of brewers come to that point. It starts as a hobby and then becomes an obsession and then you kind of leave your old life behind. I uh I I started out in art, still work in an art gallery and <laughs> I'm like I can't get out of it quick enough. <laughs> so you opened Weathered Souls in 2016 and it sounds like you didn't want to start small. You kind of took on a a big space with a 20 barrel system, three vessel. How did you decide to scale up to large versus uh, keeping it to like a super nano scale? So we knew that at some point we wanted to expand. When we opened uh, Weathered Souls, I want to say that there were less than 10 breweries within San Antonio. So obviously there was a niche for beer here. That was one of the things. But then also uh, dealing with the fact we didn't want to have to expand later if the beer was successful. So, you know, having to bring in new equipment and all that type of stuff. So we kind of just rolled the dice uh, and said, you know, hopefully, you know, we can actually produce this much beer. Uh, let's go ahead and go with the 20 barrel. So that's kind of worked out in our favor for sure. Yeah, I um I follow all the like the brewery Reddit subs and everything. And that's one thing that a lot of people suggest doing because, you know, you're going to spend a certain amount of money for this nano brewery or you can spend like a few thousand more dollars and actually be able to produce significantly more amounts of beer. And, you know, that just makes it more profitable in the end. Your brewery's coming up on its fifth birthday. And so how would you say the brewery has progressed since the start in terms of your system and the kinds of beers you're making? Are you still using the same 20 barrel system? Yeah, so we do use the same system. Uh, we have upgraded some additional things uh, since then, throwing some lager tanks, uh, a couple 60 barrel tanks. Uh, we just got our canning line in last week. So we're working on getting that together you know, hot bags and different little things like that. But as far as the actual system itself, um, we have not upgraded that. Uh, we're still running the same 20 barrel vest, three vessel system, um, same, same software equipment that we had from the jump. Yeah, well, it seems like you made the right decision then in starting with a big system because you don't have to screw around with it very much. Like, ah, oh, three, three turns of beer just to fill up this tank, but now it's like, oh, I wish I could have got a 30 barrel. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's everyone's always going to say that. <laughs> so this episode is all about stouts. What do you think makes a great stout? Interesting question, because I guess it can go a few different ways, right? You know, we have different variations of stouts and things that people kind of deem popular right now. For me, my own personal drinking consumption, I'm not really into the overly sweet pastry clays. So I would say what defines a good stout to me is balance. You have all your points of the dry roasted character, chocolate, uh, you know, that little bit of coffee. Um, you can have a little bit of residual sweetness, but not anything too overbearing. You know, a nice viscosity mouthfeel to the beer, uh, almost that chewiness to it. But for me, I'm a huge barrel aged stout fan. So for me, like normally, if I'm going to enjoy a stout, I would rather have a non adjunct barrel aged stout. Uh, so, you know, those additional oak tannins and vanilla character, caramel and stuff like that coming from the barrel. 
It surprises me that you say you don't love a sweet stout, but you love barrel-aged stouts. Because like in my mind, I always think of barrel-aged as like super cloying and sweet and kind of with that bourbon flavor. And I don't like them at all. <laughs> now, for me, I'm a huge bourbon fan. So I guess I kind of like the the transition of like the balance between the two of them um, where you can get those those fine bourbon notes within the, the beer itself. Um, but like I said, I'm not really a fan of the, the overly sweet or heavy adjunct of beer. Yes, of course we make those here, uh, but for my own drinking consumption, that's generally not what I'm going to gravitate towards too. Yeah, I can see that. It's definitely a fad that may go away, probably not for a very long time, but we will see. Yeah, as far as pastry stouts go, I think that'll probably be something that's around for a while. People love their sweets, people love their desserts and stuff like that. I think as long as we're in America, <laughs> I think we'll be okay. We'll be okay with the old pastry craze. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The main reason I had you on is because you created the Black is Beautiful collaboration initiative. And it's honestly the best stout I've ever had. You're uh, note about a stout needing to be balanced. I think that is a perfectly balanced stout. It is just, it's not too sweet. It's not too roasty. It's got a great body and everything. I, I love it. And another great thing is that it was brewed with a purpose. So you brewed it to raise awareness for the injustices people of color face on a daily basis while also raising funds for organizations that further support that cause. It's incredible to see what an impact this campaign has made globally. Can you talk about why you decided to launch this campaign and also how you built this recipe? Because it is a great one. Yeah, um, as far as why I ended up doing this campaign, um, I felt really inclined to do something. After we looked at like the recent murders of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, kind of hit home, especially with the a mass of protests that were going on but we're sitting in like mid-covid so i'm not going out to a public event like i literally haven't had anybody in my house since march so it's like one of those things where you want to participate but i wasn't going to do it um so originally i thought about doing like a standalone beer for the brewery and then donating some of that money to charity uh from the course of that weekend i was actually having a conversation with uh jeffrey stuffings over at jester king and he was the one that kind of suggested turning it into the big collaboration that it is now um as far as the recipe itself uh it's more so what i wanted to create was something that was more balanced traditional in the sense to the american style stout like i said you know we're more known for our pastry stouts flavor you know heavily adjuncted beers and so i wanted something of this magnitude to be more of the balance line more of a traditional call to like the old school american stouts that we used to see where it's more in the drier spectrum you know a lot more roasted notes that balance the chocolate uh you know the slight bitterness from actual hops um so you know being said that uh that's kind of the the guidance that i used for running into the to the balance of uh trying to create this recipe yeah it is so good. I can't wait to brew it again. I I brewed it right when you guys posted the recipe and I was like, I think this is the best beer I've ever made. <laughs> 
the recipe has been shared far and wide. Can you let us know what your latest numbers are, how many breweries, how much money has been raised? And I also hear that it's gone past beer at this point and into some other avenues and beverages. Yeah. As far as the actual number of people involved, it is around the 1200 mark, around 22 countries. I don't think any new countries have been involved recently. Um, Outside of that, uh, money-wise, we haven't got a count from every brewery that has released the beer. Uh, We did send out a survey to all of the breweries that participated, and I want to say we've had about 360, 370 responses. And I mean, just based off of those responses, it was already at about 1.7 million. So you look at the actual amount of commerce that's being moved uh, in support of this initiative, it's amazing. And we have seen other entities start getting involved. Um, We have everywhere from uh, wineries, distilleries, uh, chocolate companies. There's a chocolatier making Black is Beautiful. Uh, There's gonna be potential for coffee coming later. I think it's great that, you know, it's resonated with so many people and we've all seen like other beer collaborations to raise money for like the fires in California and all together now for COVID. But I don't know if any of those have had such a wide reaching impact and gone into other avenues like, you know, chocolate and coffee and whatnot. How many of the other breweries versions of Black is Beautiful have you been able to try? So I have been sent quite a bit of Black is Beautiful versions. I did take a, like a dry October and I honestly haven't been drinking beer that much because I've been trying to lose weight. My, <laughs> my midsection is getting wide. Um, but outside of that, I think I've probably at least have tried about 60 versions of it. You know, sip here or there. There's been a couple where I've drank, you know, the whole bottle or a whole can, but I've tried to make a point to at least um, sample most of the ones that have been sent to us. How different are they all? Do you notice like a significant difference between? Very different. Yeah. I don't think I've tried one that has tasted the same out of the other. It's great to see the individual processes and the individual changes to the beer. So it kind of sets things apart where we're not having, you know, 1200 of the same exact product. There's some variation and distinction between them. All the breweries have done very well in trying to create that. Yeah, yeah. I've had um, I've had yours. I've had one by Topa Topa, and then I had my own homebrew. And they were all like slightly different, but all really, really great stouts. What else can we look out for from Weathered Souls? We are been quite busy um, this last month or two. Actually, we're starting a huge project with Walmart for Black History Month, uh, where Black, uh, Black is Beautiful will be entering over 300 locations, basically countrywide, uh, in partnership with a few other breweries like Revision, Monday Night Brewing, uh, Three Sons. There's a few others that are involved as well. Um, we'll be releasing the beers within Walmart. Walmart will be pairing them with other uh, Black brands, and you'll be seeing those within those Walmart stores within the next week. Um, outside of that, we have been gearing up to um, start canning. As uh, so I said, we got our canning line in. Uh, so we're starting Burst Distro soon. So you're going to start seeing our beer in California, uh, Nevada, Virginia, Louisiana, and I think I'm missing a state. Uh, but then also overseas as well. You're going to see a lot more weathered souls out and about uh, probably within the next couple of months as we gear up to expand on our production a little bit. That's 
Awesome. I am so excited. When you said you were getting, you just got a canning line, I was like, please tell me that I can drink some <laughs> coming soon to California. You should probably be looking for California to start getting beer probably within the beginning of March. Love it. Yeah, I'm super excited to get my hands on other things you guys have done. Um, just based on that recipe, I'm blown away and cannot wait. For all the home brewers out there who hope to get into commercial brewing, what advice do you have for them to make that crossover into the profession? I would say to be passionate about it and not, if you're expecting to do it for the money, do not get into brewing. Uh, this is definitely an industry where passion trumps dollars. Um, so if it's something that you see, oh, well, you know, I could open a brewery and make a lot of money, more than likely that's not going to happen. Uh, you have to have a real passion for, for this craft and a passion for the industry. And I would say that the individuals that really want to do open a brewery, you know, continue that passion on through your career and, and you should be successful. I always tell my husband that. If we open a brewery, it's not going to make any money. So don't expect that. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining me. This was awesome. I'm so glad I got to talk to you and I cannot wait to visit your brewery. And it's such a small world that your brewery is 10 minutes away from my mom's old house. And I can't believe that I haven't been there yet. <laughs> when you guys come to town or something, you'll have to come visit. I absolutely will. I hope to see you in the flesh soon. And thanks again for joining me. I got my hands on an actual bona fide made by Weathered Souls, Black is Beautiful, and I want to see what Jenny thinks about it compared to mine. I, I don't think I have any more. I definitely don't have any more of mine on like tap or in the refrigerator, but I want to see if she will pick up the same kind of notes. I did vaguely ask her earlier if she had tried that brew. She did help me brew that one, so hopefully her palate is good enough to pick it up. All right. Okay, so this is a very different beer. Um, I haven't poured it yet. I'm going to open it. All right, so let's do it. I'm nervous. I'm going to swirl it for you so you get a lot of aromatics. There you go. It's a little foamy, so just smell it a lot more first. It's interesting. It almost felt a little sour, but then I just, I'm like sticking my nose in further. It was a lot more yeasty. <clears throat> it smells like brewery. Like, I, that, I know that that's non-specific. That's like saying grapes or wine smell, tastes like grapes. Okay, why do you think a brewery smells like a brewery? What do you think? It's bready. I mean, it's always the yeah. yeast and the fermentation, of course. No, but like, that's this is not, a little sour. Fun fact, that's not the smell of a brewery. The smell of a brewery is the malt, is the mash. So huh. that's what makes all the smell that like, and that's why every time you go into a brewery, it can either smell like a brewery or it doesn't smell like a brewery. Because if they're brewing, you smell the mash and you smell the boil and, it's and almost, so you smell the malt. Am I wrong? That usually smells kind of like sourdoughy though? Yeah, it's, it's grain. And um, malt has a lot of This smells sour. like when you brew. Like this is exactly what I smell when you're brewing outside my window. Mm -hmm. And it almost, it doesn't smell like a stout, but it smells like that oatmeal did when you did the oatmeal stout. Okay, I'm tasting. Oh, it's absolute. 
It's like a barrel-aged stout. Um, I don't think it's barrel-aged. I do think it's... I do think it's a stout. It's interesting because it's got a little bit of that, like, dark, almost, like, blueberry-y thing up front. It makes me think of, like, a bot the like liquor-filled chocolates, kind of, where it's got, like, a lot of cocoa, a little bit of coffee. It's not crazy sweet, but it's very smooth. And strong. It might be an imperial stout. Okay, how'd I do? Perfect. Shut the fuck up! Look at what it is. Oh my god! <laughs> it's from the actual brewery! That was the one that I smelled! <laughs> I knew it was the perfect one to make so you try! So proud of myself! <laughs> So y'all, listen, literally no practice at all. This was like just to prove something because I was like, if I can't do this, then I need to not do any of the reviews about her beer. Did I just earn your trust? Cause like, I just earned my trust. That was really cool. I like how you were like, oh, it smells like that oatmeal stout you made. That, it doesn't, the, the nose does not smell like a stout though. You get the, maybe it's just cause the head was so thick. But the coffee and like cocoa thing. The thing is, I think you're smelling the astringency that um, dark malts have, and that's the twinge you get. You know? So it's also it it makes it almost smells metallic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like the like, yeah. which I didn't place at the time, but I, that's what I always say that Guinness yeah. is like. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't like Guinness. Though. Really? Neither no. do I. Because I think it's I hate metallic. It. That is so interesting. That I'm so I'm. You're really not away. going out of the park. I'm blown. I'm so proud of myself. I really am. I'm yeah. really proud. Oh, so also, you were even right about it's an imperial. It's like ten percent. You can feel the alcohol. Ten point two. You can definitely feel the alcohol. In it. Um, that was really cool. Now what's going to be fun is I want to go buy something and do this with you. Oh, now I'm really worried. Right? Shit, you tell it's so much better than mine. That was really interesting. No, but we and I taste very differently. I taste for flavor. You taste for ingredients. Yeah. So the thing is, like, whatever beer I get, I'm gonna need to make sure I bring up, like, I have the nerdy stuff about it, mm -hmm. because even if you're not gonna be able to give me, like, you're gonna be able to tell me what the mash build is, and I'm gonna be like, well, what the fuck is a mash build? Like, I mean, really... you literally gave us the mash build. You said oatmeal, because it smell it smells like you said you said uh, oatmeal on that one too, and I think it has oatmeal. No, I don't. Oh, you did. This has malted wheat and flaked oats. Yeah, Dude, it has I'm oatmeal. I'm so in proud it. of myself. Thank I'm you for playing along. That was really cool. Yeah. We should do this more often. I agree. Next time on the Tasting Corner at Flora Brewery. Next time on We're Testing Ourselves. <laughs> I'm finding reasons to drink half a beer. Yeah, right? By drink the way, half, drink, half, drink keg. half the keg. Drink half the keg. Drinking beer, it makes you happy. It makes me happy too. It's true. Thanks for listening to Brewing After Hours on the Believe Podcast Network. Find the show and lots of other great shows at Believe.com. If you're digging the show, please subscribe and rate the show on your preferred streaming platform. A special thank you to Honus Honus, the lyrical genius behind my favorite band, Man Man, who created the song you hear at the beginning of my podcast. Check the band's new album and more at manmanbands.com and at manmanbandsband on Instagram. If you're looking for some homebrewing tips, make sure to follow me on Instagram at flora underscore brewing or subscribe to Flora Brewing on YouTube. 
For ad-free brewing tutorials and reviews, plus more one-on-one -on -one experience, become a Patreon member. It's just Patreon backslash Flora Brewing. Now, I really need a drink. I'll catch up with you all next week. Thanks again for listening and a friendly reminder to support your local craft brewery. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.